Good, good. I hope you had more rest than Wendy and I. <laughs> Wendy and I went down to Atlanta on Friday, and uh, through the special, wonderful circumstance of all of the wildfires and smoke, our plane, or our flight rather, eventually got canceled and had to stay over overnight in Atlanta and all of this. And we went down specifically to hear from the Lord um, about a few things he he was really requesting us to just go and observe in a house of prayer, and he wanted to speak and, and just show some things. And so he was faithful. He really did. I think Wendy wrote a book, actually, while she was sitting there in the, in the row and just listening to the Lord. Within five minutes, at one point, I just said, well, Lord, you can stop talking to her now and start talking to me. That would be wonderful. But, uh, <clears throat> but it was cool. I am not feeling too great this morning, but... I'm going to be better in Jesus' name. Um, so we talked about last week, right? I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to just kind of recap for a moment, and I'm going to pray for this morning, and we're just going to dive in so that I don't take, again, till, to go into a third Sunday that I don't have because I'm leaving for North Carolina with my wife today. So <clears throat> first of all, welcome. For those joining online, thank you so much for joining uh, my name is Michael Burton. My wife, Allie, and I are the international directors of Ignition 633 Ministries. And the founding pastors, Greg and Alexis Twiddell, graciously allowed me to extend my message that took really long last week to move into another Sunday in order to complete the fullness of what God had really given me. So we talked last week about kingdom stewardship, right? And if you didn't you weren't here, you didn't watch online, you know, I encourage you to go you know, watch it, listen to the podcast. That would be great. Um, I, I hope that there's something in there for you. I, I just trust God that, that uh, there's something in it for all of us. And I said last week that both of these principles, even as, even as I talk today, I've been studying for a month and a half on these topics, and I feel like every time I talk about these, there's even more to be applied in my own life, and I keep learning. And... <clears throat> Last week I gave a slight, what I said, spoiler alert into what's going on this week, what I'm talking about this week, and that's kingdom leadership. And I made a, a statement last week that, um, you know, you're all called to be leaders. We're all called to be leaders. No, no matter what age you are, no matter what uh, position you think or don't think you have, we're all called to be leaders in our various sections. And so at the end of today, if you want to come to me and, you know, tell me that you're struggling understanding, you know, that you're called to be a leader or you, you want to argue with me that you're not called to be a leader, just come see me after service. I'll knock you over the head with a Bible and say, be healed of wrong thinking in Jesus' name. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, we're, we're all called to be leaders. And I just want to, I want to open in prayer and just ask the Lord for a few things this morning and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much for the fact that I am feeling well enough to just be up here and deliver what you have. God, I thank you for what you did Friday. I thank you, Father, for everything that you do for us in every moment as we do steward what you give us and as we do lead the way that you've called us to lead. God, I pray this morning that you would organize every thought, every ideal, every word, to make it make sense to the people who need to understand it, including myself, rearrange even the things that I've put into notes to, to tell me something new this morning, Father. 
I ask, Lord, that you would give a, a fullness of a measure of your Holy Spirit this morning to each one of us as we, as we sit and digest, that it would help us digest what needs to be understood for each and every person this morning, God. I just pray that you would fill my mouth, that you would fill my mind with everything that needs to be addressed and spoken and shared this morning. God, help my, <clears throat> my body just as I struggle with, with feeling ill. God, just, I just ask for healing, even as I talk this morning, that it would just be healed. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, kingdom stewardship last week. We talked about what good stewardship was, what poor stewardship looked like, and, and kind of went over some of those, the, the four principles, right? And the four principles being the principle of ownership, the principle of responsibility, the principle of accountability, and the principle of reward. And uh, somebody pointed out to me after service last week that if you rearrange those, it, it makes an acronym ROAR. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, we're going to talk this morning about leadership. And I mentioned last week uh, a verse of why leadership is really important. And, and I read from the message translation, Proverbs 29:18, And it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. And leadership, when you're, when you're given by God a particular um, place in leadership, position in leadership, something that he has given you the mantle to carry out, that is, that is a, a position in which he pours out vision and, and his plans and his desires for what you are stewarding. Because when you're a leader, you're leading financial resources, physical resources, people, uh, you know, all sorts of things. You're stewarding all of those things in leadership towards a goal and a purpose. And when you don't have an idea of what God's doing, uh, how do you have an idea of where to lead them to and, and what you're doing with it, what you even need to use that you have with you? You know, you just begin to stumble. And I gave an example last week about a building project that, um, you know, if Greg asked me to build a building and I just start working on the building... Um, and he comes to Nigeria the next trip, he's really going to have some questions because, first of all, he, I didn't ask him what he wanted me to build. I just built something. And so if he didn't give me the plans, he didn't give me the vision of what he wants to have happen, um, we're, we're going to have some problems in our communication, in our unity, you know, and all those things. So first I want to I want to look at scripture for a moment and, and kind of address and talk about what does, what does leadership look like in terms of the lens of authority and submission to authority? Like, what does that look like biblically? So let's turn to Romans 13, verse 1. Romans 13, verse 1. So Romans 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Let every person, and again, I'm, I'm going to read from the Amplified. I, I've actually just started using it, and I love it so much. <clears throat> it just gives extra context to things. But it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, granted by his permission and sanction. 
and those which exist have been put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists governmental authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who have resisted it will bring judgment, civil penalty, on themselves. For civil authorities are not a source of fear for, uh, for people of good behavior, but those who do evil. So I, I want to just look at that for a moment. It's, in a paraphrased way, it's saying every single authority upon the earth has been established and instituted by God. Right? Every single authority has been established and instituted by God. I want to separate just a little bit that maybe not every person has been instituted by God into a position, but the position itself has been implemented and instituted by God. That position of authority, you know, the good example is is Saul, King Saul. King Saul was put into position. um, God said he regretted putting, you know, anointing Saul king or making Saul king. And in that example, that is a position, a kingship position that was instituted by God, the person of which was was set up is not necessarily one that, and the position, not necessarily one that God wanted to do. Because you can ask yourself sometimes reading this and say, every single authority instituted by God, why would he institute a, a you know, I, I, I don't know, a, 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 the, <laughs> the leader of the mafia? You know, why would he institute that? You know, when you look at every single position of authority. And bottom line is, every single position of authority is instituted and implemented by God. It's allowed. It is done through his courts, through verdict of allowance based on the people's desire, clearly in, in the example of Saul. But it doesn't mean that every single one of them was his desire, right? Like his, his you know, perfect will. So let, let's turn to Acts 4, Acts chapter 4. Because the next question that most people might have is, okay, the scripture says every single authority was instituted and implemented by God, and, and we need to submit to this. And if we resist it at all, we're resisting God. So, okay, does that mean that if, you know, President Biden put out a executive order that all Christians must be killed, you know, and we have to kill, you know, these people, or we have to, you know, go and every single person in the nation of the United States must worship, you know, Allah in a mosque, you know, does it mean seriously that we have to submit to this? It's, it's in conflict. I, I don't understand that. So let's, let's look at the, the example that actually happened to the disciples here. So Acts chapter four, verse 18 says, so they sent for them. Now, this was the, the religious rulers at the time sent for uh, the disciples. And it says, so they sent for them and commanded them not to speak as his representatives, God's representatives, or teach at all in the name of Jesus, using him as their authority. So in this example, an instituted position of authority 
implemented by God, the, per, the person in that position is now literally telling the disciples, don't go and preach in Jesus' name. Do you think that God gave that command? I, w- I would really have some serious problems with this faith if I believed that, right? I, I don't think so at all. In fact, definitely not. So let's look at verse 19. What they, uh, so it says, but Peter and John replied to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you and obey you rather than God, you must judge for yourselves. For we, on our part, cannot stop telling people about what we have seen and heard. And they further threaten them if they continue to do it. Let's look at verse, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 5. Verse 29. So just to fill in the gap here between that scripture and this one, they definitely went on and continued to preach in Jesus' name, right? Doing exactly what the authorities told them not to do. So now let's look and see what happens, right? It says, then Peter, oh, excuse me. Let's go back just a little bit here. So, so instead of reading, let me just tell you really quick. They brought them before these, these same rulers because obviously it, it, they heard that they completely disregarded their command. So they bring them back before them to deal, you know, consequences to them and, and, and deal with them. And it says in verse 29, then Peter and the apostles replied after they accused them and, and questioned them. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. We have no other choice. So how do you reconcile these scriptures in Acts 4 and 5 with what it says in Romans 13? Romans 13 says every single authority on the earth has been established and implemented by God. Then the authority established by God tells the people to do something against God. And then they don't submit. What's happening? Is this a contradiction in the word of God? Maybe, if you look at it that way. Maybe that contradiction is something that drives us to look further at understanding the complexity of what's happening here. And it's really not that complex. What this is basically setting up is that every position has been implemented, established by God, every authority, and we are by default to submit to what that authority and that, that ruler, if you will, is, is commanding, paying taxes. I'm quite certain, maybe this is a biased opinion, but I'm quite certain God is not in favor of the taxes that we have to pay. I'm just quite certain he, he doesn't want us to be taxed. No, just my biased opinion. No, 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 I'm just, just my biased opinion. But even with taxes, right? I, I don't know that taxes necessarily have to do biblical, not biblical, you know, right, wrong in God's eyes, but, but it is something that they set up. And, and what, did, what did Jesus say? He said, pay to Caesar what's due Caesar, right? Even in Romans, if you keep reading that section, it talks about that. Pay, pay revenue to those whose revenue is owed. So you're, you're looking at this and every single authority has been established by God, and we are to, by default, submit to what those authorities and that, those positions are, are commanding of us, are asking of us, are, are dictating to us. 
by default, that is our first reaction. Not forsaking and not forgetting that we do have a direct channel to Jesus Christ. We do have a direct channel of communication to the Lord. And even if we didn't, and we were in the Old Testament times where we're not one of those prophets that hears the word of God directly and and we're following a prophet, God is perfectly capable of coming in where you are being led astray in, in, you know, by a ruler who's going against what God commanded them to do and, and told them to steward in their leadership. God's perfectly capable of stepping in just at that moment after you have by default done exactly what God asked you to do and submit to that authority and come to you and make it clear that they're no longer they're no longer proclaiming what I've asked them to proclaim. You must listen to me more than you listen to them. Does that make sense? In a in a company, for instance, if you're you know if you're uh, working at um, I don't know Walmart, you're working at Walmart, and all of a sudden your supervisor says, "Yeah, no one's allowed to restock the shelves. Don't restock the shelves." Well, that doesn't make sense. It seems counterintuitive to selling products, which is the point of Walmart, you know, sales and revenue. So the the supervisor that you have says, "Stop stocking the sale, the, the shelves. Don't don't do that." Well, when the store general manager comes in or the CEO of Walmart comes in and he goes, what's going on? Why are these shelves empty? And, and you tell him, oh, well, they, they told us not to, not to stock the shelves. And then that CEO or that, that general manager of the store says, oh, no, 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 no. It needs to be stocked. Go ahead. Who do you listen to? Why? Because he's of the higher authority. He's the one in charge. In Nigeria, we say he's the Oga Pata Pata. That's the overall boss. He's the most supreme, right? Yeah, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? Sounds strange to us Americans, guys. It does. But he is the most supreme in our life. He has to be number one. Now, to people who he's not number one, that probably is not going to happen then, right? So... When we look at biblical authority and submission, the way that God sees it, the way that God intends, and I don't pretend to sit here and say that's all there is to it. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things. But trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Lord. You know, it's the, it's the same, it's the same um, peace that we have even in our, in our faith, right? If we truly, truly trust the Lord and we, we rest in that peace of, of the fact that the Lord is for us and not against us, that he has plans to prosper us and, and all of that, then if I am pouring out everything that I have into this by faith, because I've, I've got no document that certifies God is real. I've got no document to show you. It's through my, my experiences and my proofs in my life that I can't impart to you, unfortunately, that I know God is real. You can't convince me otherwise. And, <clears throat> yeah, let's, let's keep moving. So I want to talk about what being a kingdom leader looks like. So in, in all of my study and culmination of notes and all these things, again, not to say this is all, so there's probably more pieces, you know, as you sit here and you say, oh, but you forgot about this. Great. Write it down in your notes also. Um, there are five pillars. I'm going to say pillars because they hold up what being a kingdom leader is and it embodies so there's five pillars that I want to talk about in being a kingdom leader. And we, we did talk about the fact that, and, and I want you to keep this perspective as we go through this, you, you're called to be a leader. Now, 
you can kind of choose in your mind not to be one. You can just choose against taking up that leadership that you're called to do. But, but nonetheless, rest assured, you're still leading, actually. You just may actually be leading the wrong direction at that point, right? Everything that we do, every choice that we make has weight in the kingdom and goes one way or the other. It goes towards one of the kingdoms. You know, even, even when you think you're just being stagnant, you might be going to the other kingdom and investing your, your faith or investing your choices into the wrong kingdom. And so <clears throat> keep in mind the spheres of influence that you have that, that maybe you didn't look at as your position of leadership, but, but look at like if, if you're not yet a full adult, you're not yet married even or anything like that, look at your friend groups at school. Look at your siblings. Look at your spouse. Look at your children. Look at your coworkers. And, and it points, look at people who are in authority over you because you can still lead no matter what. You can lead up the ladder. You can lead down the ladder. You can lead sideways. You can lead, if there's another way, diagonally. You can lead. <clears throat> so the first, the first pillar I want to talk about is Christ being a pillar, right? I think it's important to note that, um, you know, first, without Christ as the pillar, as at least one of the pillars, right, um, you can't be a kingdom leader. Well, God's kingdom leader. And when I say kingdom today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of darkness. So when I say kingdom leader, you've got to have Christ as a pillar in order to be a kingdom leader. You could be a leader without Christ. Trust me. I did it. I've done it. Um, you know, wasn't fun. It wasn't a good success, uh, but I have done it and it's possible, but you can't be a kingdom leader giving gains to his kingdom and producing for his kingdom without Christ being one of those pillars. We have to recognize that he is the leader while we are the leader in this position. He is the Oga Pata Pata. Yeah, I know he is the boss. He's the number one. He's the overall. It is his vision that we have to follow, his plan that we should follow, not ours, not our own desires, not what we want, not our, you know, building plans. Trust me, if I tried to build a building off my plans, you would not want to go into it because you might die. It will collapse. I'm not trained in that way. It's his way, right? It's not my way. His plans, not my plans. We have to recognize, because this is, this is where it's going to be a challenge as we walk through all the rest of these pillars and we walk this journey, we have to recognize that it is always going to be a walk of faith. It's always going to be a walk of faith. You're going to be stretched, and you just need to accept that and, and just hang on and enjoy the ride. It's going to be a walk of faith. It is going to be challenging at times. It is going to require a, a you know, substance of things hoped for, Right? without Christ as being one of these pillars, none of the other pillars, I don't know if that's like construction, if you have like an analogy for that, if one of the pillars isn't there, then all the rest of them crumble, you know. Well, I don't know if that's true in the physical realm, but it's definitely true in this example. If you don't have Christ at least as one of those pillars, all the rest of them don't matter. You know, you, you can't do it without Christ as the pillar, but he is just one of the pillars. He just happens to be the the most important. The second pillar of being a kingdom leader is your calling. Okay? 
Why are you leading? Why are you leading? Where are you leading to? Right? Uh, McKinley. She's not in here. Where where is she? But McKinley loves to lead. You know, now in her in her example, she loves to boss things around. You know, she loves to take charge. You know, she's independent. You know, we we really have done a, a you know the best we can to really raise her to where she's independently minded and strong willed in in a good way. Sometimes there's bad phases that we go through with a strong willed child, but. She loves to lead. She loves to boss people around. She <clears throat> constantly, I know boss people around is harsh. It's never like, you know, being mean about it. But I remember just about like a couple weeks before we left to come here, we were getting, we were getting kind of things ready and kind of organized and pre-packing and everything. And, and we're in the midst of doing things. And McKinley just goes, Daddy, come, come. And I'm like, okay, where, where are we going? What are we doing? Come, come. And so she has me walk over into the living room. So I walk over to the living room. I'm like, what? I'm thinking that she's going to show me something, maybe something she broke or something that's wrong or there's something interesting to her, you know, whatever. So I get over there and she goes, come like this right here. She's very Nigerian. She's grown up in a Nigerian culture. So she says things a little, a little different, but she's like, come right here. So I, I stand right where she's asked me to stand and she, and she just goes, Okay, no, no, like this, like this. And I move over here, and I'm standing like this, and, and by the end of it, I realized, like, it's, she just wanted to tell me what to do. <laughs> there was no point. There was no prize at the end of that tunnel. There was no gold pot at the end of the rainbow. There was nothing. It just was, wow, my child has successfully bossed me around. All right. Okay. Payback's coming. Um, so why are you leading? Where are you leading to? It's important to know those things. And when you don't know them, you're going to end up bossing people around aimlessly with no reward at the end and no idea of why and what's going on. And you're going to stumble around. You have to have a calling to do, to lead in the way that you are leading. Um, now I will separate and add one piece. Like I said, all these things are general notes that I feel like I've gotten from the Lord and he wants me to share. There is more to it. So don't think that it's just as simple as this. There's more. And I encourage you to go study these topics. It is one of the number one talked about topics in the Bible. In fact, I would say it's probably the most discussed topic in the word of God. I don't know if I said this last week, but one out of seven words in the word of God talked about financial stewardship. That's just financial stewardship. It's not talking about stewardship of people. It's not talking about, you know, other ways of stewarding and leading. But one out of seven words that Jesus spoke in the New Testament is about financial stewardship. One out of ten of the new, uh, of the, the, uh, gospel verses talks about these topics as well. I mean, it's a big, big topic. And, but I want to separate the, the need for a calling to lead because as an office, that's a kind of a Christianese language. Like you can speak in tongues, but you may not have the office of speaking in tongues or this gift you, you, you operate in, but it's not really your office gift. What I mean by that is you don't necessarily have that mantle anointing. You've not been given the position to do such and such, 
but yet you still can and at times should lead in that in that role. This morning, I'm clearly told by the Lord to give this message. I wasn't feeling good this morning. There was a one blip of a thought in my mind that I might not actually be able to speak this morning. I didn't know how it was going to go. Now you wake up and you just feel way worse. But once you start moving around, it's like, okay, all right, this is fine. All the cruds get out and, you know, you're good. Well, you know, there, there's a blip in time. So if, let's say I just wasn't able to, just wasn't able to, does it just, we just, well, we'll just shut down the church. I guess everybody has a Sunday off, you know, because I was the one who was supposed to speak. You know, Greg's the pastor, you know, Alexis is the pastor, but, but I was the one who's supposed to speak. Well, no, because they would take it up. Even if Greg, you know, Greg's kind of used to this and, and he talks about it a lot. Like most of the time, that's what happens anyways. God's like, well, you're speaking. So he just gets up and he's like, well, I guess I'm speaking. But he takes that, that, that leadership in that role. It's not, it's his role, but it wasn't his role this morning. Clearly I'm the one supposed to be speaking this morning. But if I step out of that, somebody has to lead. Somebody has to lead. If Wendy gets sick on a Tuesday night, somebody's got to lead. If, if all of the pastoral, if half the church goes to Nigeria, which in the past, that kind of happened. Like half the church would go to Nigeria on a big missions trip. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to step in. It doesn't mean that, that just because Wendy's gone on a Tuesday night, the person that steps in has to now you know, ask of the Lord, well, is this the new position you're giving me? No, it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with the fact that somebody needs to lead, right? And when we recognize true, true leadership is about taking an initiative, seeing where things are needing to get done, and, and stepping in and doing it, right? Ensuring that things come to fruition. Um, so I just wanted to separate that because I don't, in the same uh, point that I made at the beginning where I said everyone's called to be a leader in, in the various aspects that you may be in, the various positions, whether it be an older sibling, um, you know, a, a husband and a wife, uh, you know, anything, you're called to lead. Well, <clears throat> I just didn't want to give room for the fact that, well, okay, but that's, that's not my position, well, you can still lead. You can lead up the ladder, down the ladder, sideways, left, right, diagonal. You can lead. Leadership is the ability to garnish influence over others. You can be a good leader. You can be a really bad leader. You can lead somebody to do drugs. You can lead somebody to go to rehab. You can lead somebody to Christ. You can lead somebody to Satan. It's the ability to garnish influence over others. That's what leadership is, right? Kingdom leadership is the ability to garnish influence to bring the maximum gain for God's kingdom, right? So <clears throat> that is calling, a pillar of calling. We have to be called to truly take that, that office or that positional leadership that God's calling us to get into. Otherwise, we'll end up bossing people around aimlessly. Um, the calling actually also, one, one last point, the calling actually also helps us to stay focused and keeps us accountable. Like I talked about with the building plans, if you've, got a, if you've got a calling for something and God starts pouring out the vision towards that calling, you're really easily able to look at what vision he gave and look at what you're actually doing and see that you're going to be held account to the fact that you're not doing what God's shown you to do. Right. So so that calling enables a flow of his vision for that particular role, and it enables us to be focused on what it needs to be and held accountable to what it should be. The third pillar 
is your character. It's a pillar of being a kingdom leader is your character. We are, as leaders, good leaders, kingdom leaders, are first servants. Right? You have to have a servant's character. If you go into this thinking that this position of authority that I've been given, this position of leadership I've been given is all about my ability now, legally speaking, or, or by right, to now lord over you, or to now, you know, to, to now command you to do whatever I want, you know, and all this stuff, we're going at it wrong. When we're leading, we are first serving the people that we lead. If we don't do that, it's not going to end well. Because one of the things that not serving the people beneath you, if you will, um, that, that you're in leadership over, if you're not serving them, if you're not empowering them, you're going to end up doing everything by yourself. And it's going to fail because God designed it not to be done by yourself. God designed it to be done as a team. Um, we, are first, we first have to be servants in leadership, servant leaders. Even, even Jesus, in the example of, of washing the disciples' feet, that's a picture of servant leadership. Ooh. All right. You guys awake? You're awake now. That's a picture of servant leadership. Christ is the over, I'm not going to say it again. Christ is the overall leader, right? And yet he washed the disciples' feet. Even one of the disciples, can't remember which one it was, had this problem with it. He's like, no, 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 definitely you won't wash my feet. And then, then Jesus said, well, if I don't do this, you have no part in me. And he's like, oh, well, then wash everything. You know, he understood then. So <clears throat> a servant leader, we have to first come into leadership as a servant. Second, it's about what we talked about last week. We have to be good stewards, right? In order to serve others and empower others, we have to be able to steward our given resources in order to do that very thing, to serve them. We have to utilize everything that we are given in our you know, uh, power under our authority to empower others to do things. If I'm given a budget every month, a portion of money, and I have to steward where that's going to go into what project according to what plan I've been given and what vision I've been given and give portions of this money allocated to the different leaders that are under the, the Nigerian leadership in order to empower them to start doing things and making decisions so I don't have to spend all day just making those decisions and doing the tiny details. You have to steward the resources that you're given to empower those you lead. Now, that's, that's the, <clears throat> the example I gave is, is an example of in a workplace. But it grows across the board. You can steward people in a, in a spiritual sense, in a church environment, by the, what you're given. What Greg was given, and Alexis is given, and Pastor Wendy's given... They're given this vision and this knowledge, and they're built up by the Lord. Without them pouring into me, I wouldn't be who I am today. That was a stewardship of what they were given in a way of serving me to build me up, to make a disciple out of me so that I can turn, take what's given to me, and make disciples in, in those that I am pouring out into. And it keeps going, it keeps going until we've made disciples of all nations. Whoa, that's a scripture, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations. We also have to be a shepherd, 
right? What does a shepherd do in, in the flock of sheep? A shepherd pays attention. Well, one, he serves the sheep because everything he's doing is for the sheep and their well-being. Second, he stewards what he has. Uh, David, as a shepherd, you know, had skills and abilities, you know, that he developed over time to, I don't know, this dude must have been a monster. I mean, he what, took a bear by the beard and, like, killed it and yanked his jaw off or something. I, I mean, whew. I don't know that I could do that. I mean, maybe I I just trust that when the time comes, maybe it happens. But he had to steward the things he's been given, the knowledge, the skills. Maybe he had, um, uh, you know, that that, that, uh, sling and the stone to to try to fend off, you know, the, the enemies that approach. We're to protect that flock. A shepherd looks out for what the enemy tries to do towards the sheep and keeps that from taking place, fights it off, and tries their best to keep them from harm's way. And then when a sheep gets lost, the whole example in, in, you know, in the Bible that's kind of become this, this mantra of you know, leaving the 99 to save the one, you know, you're looking for, for when a sheep goes astray and starts to wander off into dangerous journey, uh, paths and, and areas, and you go out and try to bring them back. You're constantly watching over the flock for their, for their well-being, right? You're constantly looking for, no one had to tell David to do it. No one's going to tell you that, you know, a lion's coming. You have to see the lion coming after your sheep and decide for yourself, well, you know, it's just one, not a big deal. Or you have to decide, no, I'm not going to let this happen. And you have to take initiative and you have to take action to get it done. So we have to first come as servants and have a servant's mindset to those whom we're leading. We have to steward everything within our power, within our belt, if you will, um, towards the servant, you know, serving those that we lead. And we have to be a shepherd, have a shepherd's mindset, you know, protecting and, and trying to just care for them the best we can. In our character, we have to allow our character to be developed to where we bear the fruits of the Spirit, right? <laughs> you know the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, etc. Um, I say etc. probably because I wouldn't be able to name them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm human. Get over it. Um, <clears throat> but guys, we have to bear the fruits of the Spirit in our life. We have to allow, and, and it's not a choice to do so. Let me give an example. Okay. Um, if you're married, this might hit home. If it steps on your toes, move your feet. You and your spouse are communicating passionately. Uh, for those who don't understand that language, you are viciously arguing. <laughs> Viciously arguing. You're just in a brawl over the fact that he said the wall should be painted this color and she said, no, it should be that color. Whatever. It doesn't matter how big or small you're, you're arguing. Displaying not the fruits of the kingdom. Not having patience. Not necessarily loving the way you should. And you are just viciously arguing. Yelling, you know, whatever it is. Just, you know, I, I just... I told you, you know, this, this color is going to be better because it, it makes the room look bigger. You know, but I told you, no, I don't like that color. You know, you're just arguing and just bickering back and forth and, you know, all that. And then all of a sudden your, your phone rings and you've had this moment. Don't even, I'm not going to ask for hand raise because like, 
No, we're not going to embarrass everybody because everybody would raise your hand at one point, right? Your phone rings. I'll say that it's happened to me and Allie. It's definitely happened with me and Allie. I'm a different person than I used to be. Thank God. Allie said amen. Um, all of a sudden, in the midst of that heated argument, I'll use Allie and I for an example. This, I don't, this may have happened. I don't know the exact, you know, whatever, but I'll give this example. We're arguing. We're viciously, you know, passionately communicating. And um, all of a sudden, my phone rings. It's Pastor Greg. Pastor Greg. So I look at the phone, and I'm just like, oh, great. Not because of him, but because of what, what's happening right now, right? Like I'm faced with the reality that I am now displaying fruits of not the kingdom of God. And now he's calling, and, you know, I can't ignore this call. I was expecting this call, and I just forgot because we got into this argument, and now I'm trapped into this circumstance and this scenario. And so I'm just like, I, I just told you... Uh, just hang on. Hello, Pastor Greg. How are you? How's it going? Oh, I'm very well. God bless you. Yes, yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, how are you? Yeah. Oh, you're not feeling well. Oh, let me, let me just take a moment and pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit's power to just heal him right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your steadfast love and patient endurance and, and kindness towards us and all the fruits of the Spirit that I'm not bearing. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, I'm so excited to see you on Sunday. Oh, yes, everything is well. Thank you. I told you it's supposed to be green. You can choose to put on fruits of the Spirit all day long. All day long. You can choose to put on a fruit of the Spirit. I just did it. Right? Your family knows who you are. Those, those who you let in intimately into your life know who you really are. Outwardly, at least I think, maybe people weren't as deceived as I thought, in my former life, but outwardly, I don't think that people really understood the depth of the false fruit that I bore. But my wife did because she ate it. Right? Your kids do because they eat it. I told you to clean your room. You know, don't get any ideas. Don't argue with your parents. You know. The fruit that we bear gives credibility for people to follow us, right? It gives the credibility for those to follow us. Turn to Proverbs 14. Just in case you're thinking there that I am speaking from absolute perfection in that very example, you'd be wrong. Everyone has room to grow, and we have moments where, uh, you know, we make mistakes and all of that. So definitely don't sit here and think that I'm preaching because I made it. You know, uh, there, there are moments. Allie can attest to it, and I'm, I welcome her to do it because my heart is to fix those issues and seek the Lord to truly make it not be a choice to display a fruit, but actually bear that fruit to where it comes out whether I choose it or not because it's part of my character. It's not your character if you just put on a face. Your character comes from within comes from the heart. 
So let's look at Proverbs 14, chapter 14, verse 28. Verse 28, it says, when the wicked, oh, excuse me, not the right scripture reference. Fourteen twenty-eight. Oh, sorry, I went to chapter 28. I apologize. Give me one second. 1428. If this was Nigeria, somebody would be reading already. All right. <clears throat> it says, in a multitude of people is a king's glory, but in a lack of people is a pretentious prince's ruin. Let me interpret that. When no one's following you because you have crappy fruit, Sorry, I said crap. When no one's following you because you have really poor fruit and it tastes awful, it's something to look at, right? But when you have a lot of people following because you are displaying the fruit of Christ, you can make people follow you. I, I mean, I could offer everybody $100 if you come to lunch with me, and I'm sure I'd have everybody come with me, right? But if you're coming because you genuinely want to spend time with me and I'm just offering that, hey, I'm going to be a so-and-so place for lunch today if anybody wants to join. And then the entire church comes and joins. You know, that, that's a, that's a um, um, manifestation of clearly, you know, I would imagine fruit in my life that people just enjoy being around. And, and maybe they want that or just maybe they enjoy being around that, that atmosphere. You know, <clears throat> the fruit creates a credibility for those to follow you, right? So we have to have good fruit. We have to have kingdom fruit in order to be a kingdom leader. Our character is developed by obedience through faith. Our character is developed by obedience through faith. Because you're sitting here and like, well, you know, I pray for patience all the time and, you know, all this stuff. Oftentimes prayer produces an opportunity for you. It doesn't always just magically put a fruit on your tree. It produces an opportunity for you to act on, right? Lord, I must have prayed for severe patience when I went on this trip because it was tested. Um, oftentimes when you pray for patience, God gives you a, an opportunity to choose patience that's hard, not one that's easy, like you know, you go through a drive through window and you order this thing and they're like, oh, that's going to just take 30 seconds. Is, is that okay? You know, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be patient. <laughs> that's easy, 30 seconds. It's going to take me 29 seconds to drive around to the window. But when you pray for patience and increase in patience and you go on a trip to Atlanta, Georgia, I'm not going to name the airline. I promised the Lord I wouldn't call out all that stuff. But when you go to Atlanta, Georgia on a trip and your flight gets canceled and every single flight crew operator is just completely, enormously full of the wrong kingdom's uh, fruit, um, <clears throat> it's really challenging to be patient through all of that when people are being rude to you and just not helping and you're super tired from an entire day worth of you know, doing things and you just want to get home. It's, it's challenging. But yet my patience is developed by choosing to be patient in that moment when I didn't think it would be possible. Now, I'm not going to reveal to you whether my fruit was developed in that moment or not, because maybe, maybe not. I don't know. God knows, and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. But honestly, <clears throat> our character is developed by continuously seeking the Lord, and when the Lord gives you something 
or, or reveals an opportunity to, to choose his kingdom, to choose faith, to act through something that he's, he's asked you to do. And you do that. It develops character. If he asks you to, you know, start a prayer call and be on it every single day, you know, without fail, I mean, trust me, he's not just leading you into the living room for no reason and asking you to stand here and stand here. He's doing it for a reason because it's going to build something in you, a character of discipline, maybe a character of just just develop your prayer life. He's doing it for a reason. And so when we're obedient by faith to what God's called us to do, that's what develops our character. The Israelites thought through this this morning, and I I added this this example. The Israelites, when they went to enter the promised land, you know, the first time when they were, when they sent the spies out to go and look at the land and they came back and there was this big report, that was an example of, of the leadership there not having the fully developed character that it was needed because many of them just feared and they looked at this and said it's impossible. And they didn't have some of the character needed, the courage, the, the boldness, the faith, if you will. You name it. You can look at it the way you want to look at it. But clearly their character wasn't developed to the point where they could take possession of that land. And so God had to bring them through, uh, unfortunately, a period of 40 years to develop further character. And it was only then when the character of the leadership, because it wasn't all just the people. It didn't say that God queried the people and gave a survey out and, you know, it was like a 60% no and a 40% yes, so he just respected it. It was the leadership. The majority of those leaders, the ones who went in to, to, to observe the land and come back and report, that, that the majority of them said, it's not possible, we can't do it, I'm too afraid. Have you seen those guys? They're huge. Right? So let's look at the fourth pillar, two more. The fourth pillar is a pillar of competence, competency, competence. Competence and character are really closely connected, okay? Because just like we talked about through your obedience through faith to something that your character is developed, um, your competency is developed in the same way, right? For me... I've never led uh, a mission like this in a foreign nation. I've never, you know, been a poultry farmer or anything like that. Um, You know, I've never done the things that are happening, but I just believed. I had faith and I stepped. And now God is doing it. And we are some of the largest poultry farmers in Benway State. Um, You know, all all of these things are occurring. and, And it's the same for everybody on our team. Everybody on our team who has stepped where, where it's been challenging and had faith and gone where God's asked them to go, they have also become things that they never thought that they would and, and developed skill set that they never thought they'd possess. And it wasn't because they went to some university or took some online course. It's because they obeyed by faith what God asked them to do and showed them opportunities to do. Does that make sense? So when you look at Psalm 70, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it. Psalm uh, 78, verse 72. It says, So David shepherded them accordingly to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. So right there is a picture in Scripture of having character and competency in the same, in the same piece. 
It says he shepherded them accordingly to the integrity of his heart, character, and guided them with his skillful hands, his competency, right? And it's not that, again, I've said this before previously in in conversations, it doesn't mean that God's waiting for you to be equipped to call you. He doesn't call people who are equipped. Often, more often than not, he equips those whom he calls, right? And this is a picture of that. It doesn't mean that you have to be a poultry farmer to come out to Nigeria and work with the poultry farm. That will be developed. God will get you there, you know, through, through your faith and obedience. Um, <clears throat> you know, you think about Nehemiah building the wall and, and doing all the construction that he did. You know, if he didn't have those, those skills of planning and organizing and all of that, if, if, you know, Moses didn't have the delegation skills, you know, we talked about how if you don't, if you don't develop a, a servanthood of empowering those you're leading and enabling them and pouring into them, uh, you're going to end up doing everything by yourself. And Moses has a perfect picture of this. It says in the word um, that he, he spent day and night just judging the peoples, which means deliberating over issues they're having. You know, he literally just dealt with their problems from day to night. And, and literally people had to come and, and talk with him about this and he had to eventually delegate and set up people to handle certain things so that things could keep moving. Because you can't just sit there all day and night just dealing with issues. You'd have no actual growth. Paul and all the wonderful letters that he's written. If he didn't have communication skills, we would be lost in a lot of senses. Because he had to develop the, and I'm sure the first letter he wrote probably wasn't as articulate as some of the things that he did write, you know, in the end. So we, we do have a competency that we, we do need to develop in being a kingdom leader. And all of those things, character and competency, are developed through our surrender. Right? It comes from our surrender and obedience to Christ and what he's asking us to do by faith. The final pillar is the pillar of community. The outcome of being a kingdom leader <clears throat> is to impact and transform lives, right? So every biblical leader is called to interact with and impact people. Bottom line, we're called to interact and and impact people. If your position of leadership in your mind within the church involves literally only, and I can use them as an example because they don't do this, literally only showing up to church, putting on the headset and figuring out what volume to put things on, and then as soon as that's done, they just leave and head out to their work week ahead, they're not really a kingdom leader at that point, right? Kingdom leadership is, is about impacting lives and interacting with people because that, that's, that's like kind of the point is, is transforming lives. And, you know, establishing his kingdom. And that's done through, by the way, you know, both of them are one hand in hand. It's establishing the, the kingdom of God here on this earth. But how is that done? It's done through the readiness of the bride. And how is that done? By interacting with them, garnishing influence over them to lead them in the right way. So <clears throat> we also have to understand that without community, you know, if we forsake the assembly, we're not having community, right? And it doesn't, forsake the assembly doesn't mean just coming to church. Forsaking the assembly means being surrounded by fellow believers that, that, that really sharpen you, iron sharpening iron. We are grown and sharpened by those around us, 
right? Those even that we lead because people will have feedback and, and in a servant's mentality, you're constantly actually provoking feedback. You're asking them, what do you need? How can I help you accomplish what you need to accomplish? How can I, you know, empower you more to do what you need to do? You know, and, and how are you doing? You know, you're constantly, you know, provoking a feedback from those that you, that you lead. And in that, you, you end up getting sharpened because sometimes they'll say, you know, I, I really need more, you know, I don't know, more study of his word. And then you realize as a leader, I have completely forgotten to open up a study of his word in what we're doing or, or whatever it is. You, you end up getting grown and sharpened through some of that feedback. And also, you have to be ready to accept a, a, a constructive criticism of those that you're leading as well. Because if we have a mentality that we're a perfect leader and we have enough, no room for growth or no room for sharpening, it's going to lead down a wrong path as well. And so we are sharpened by those that we lead. And so we really do need community for both the fact that without a team, there can't be a team leader. Without a people, there can't be, you know, without sheep, there can't be a shepherd, right? Um, <clears throat> but also the fact that we are grown and we are sharpened by those around us, right? We're called to be our brother's keeper in that way. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. First Corinthians five, starting in verse six. I'll read this. It says, Your boasting over the supposed spirituality of your church is not good. Indeed, it is vulgar and inappropriate. Do you not know that just a little leaven ferments the whole batch of dough, just as a little sin corrupts a person or an entire church? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new batch, just as you are still unleavened. So, being a kingdom leader is often referred to as leading by example. When, you, when you're a servant leader, you, know, you lead by example. You're exemplifying what should be done by those you're in leadership over. And... <clears throat> Leading by example is not always just about what you do and say in the example. Because most people look at this and they say, well, you know, I want to lead people to, you know, clean up after service. So I'm going to do my part and I'm just going to do it. No matter what, people will always see that I'm cleaning up after the service. All right, well, some people will follow that example and some people might not. You know, you'll have various, you know, reactions from that. It's not all just about what you do and say, but it's also about what you tolerate. Leading by example is also about what you tolerate. Um, So if you tolerate your child having tantrums all the time, you're going to have a, I don't know what the tantrimonious child, what is the word? I'm making up words now. A child with a bad attitude. If you tolerate the false ridiculousness 
of your child saying, I believe I'm actually a female when they're a male boy, you're going to end up having transgender children because you're going to get what you tolerate. Don't tolerate. Don't tolerate the things you shouldn't tolerate. And this is what it's talking about. They're, they're boasting over their, their acceptance and toleration of certain things. And, and he's like, just even a little bit that you're saying that you boast about tolerating is going to ruin the whole thing. If, if, we, if we tolerated you know, the, the activities of, of sinful nature, if we had somebody who, who you know, was, was doing drugs among the congregation and we just tolerated the fact that in the back row, well, you know, in order to stay awake, I just have to do drugs or something. You know, if we're tolerating that in the church, we're just going to end up with a, with a drug-filled church. It's just how it happens. Biblically speaking, that is what will take place. What you tolerate is what you get. When you tolerate tantrums in, in a child in your family, it's going to flood the rest of the children in your family if they have siblings, and it's going to turn into the fact that you're accepting of this. Even if it's not necessarily your heart's desire, it's what your, it's what your actions are. So, and, and, you know, there, there, I'm sure you can remember a time in your life when this has happened, but it's like, when you're, when you're, I'm failing to find a good example, but something that you're wanting to do that's kind of a gray area in your mind. And you kind of, you, you kind of know that it's not a good decision. Um, <clears throat> you know, you kind of know it's not a good decision to do. It's probably going to be bad, but, but you're looking around and you see another person. Maybe, maybe you're in school, right? You're in school and inside the classroom, um, there's this kid Who's, who's taking, you know, the spit wads, you know, little balls of paper and taking a straw and just right up to the whiteboard or the chalkboard, whatever generation you're in, right? And it just hits the chalkboard or the whiteboard and your teacher just kind of, and just keeps pressing through, you know, tolerating it. Well, as a co-peer in that classroom, that's intriguing to me because that, that looks like fun because wickedness and sinful nature is actually fun for a season, right? That looks like fun. I know I shouldn't do it, but, well, they just did it, and it seemed to be okay, so I'll just do it. The example of her or his leadership as a teacher tolerating, they didn't do anything. They didn't specifically take an action that... that embodied a an anti-spitwad, you know, persona, all they did was just tolerate it happening. And now all of a sudden you got 14 kids just going, you know, and you're like, I can't even write on the whiteboard anymore. It's just full of spit and paper. What you tolerate is also a, a way of how you lead by example. Right? It doesn't always feel that way because it feels like, you know, I don't know telling people what to do or, or whatever. But, I mean, really examine that in, in, if you're in a position of leadership in a workplace. Examine that. You've got an employee that just constantly shows up late. Don't tolerate that. If that's against your policies that you've set, don't tolerate it because you're going to end up having an entire work staff that shows up late eventually. Right? Stop tolerating those things. Own it. Take leadership. Um, hmm. I want to look at, um, I want to look at this. So let's turn to Matthew 18 verse 18, because 
I've just talked about all this stuff. I've just equipped a bunch of people who may or may not be in leadership with, you know, authority and power to go like, you know, command this and don't do this and not tolerate that and, you know, take action. And, you know, all of a sudden you, you become like a like a tyrant. You know, I want to balance you for a second. So look at Matthew eighteen eighteen. Whatever uh, um, translation you're in, the Amplified Classics up here, read it in your own, whatever you want to read it. I am going to read the Greek, exact Greek translation of this verse, okay? And it's going to sound weirdly worded because it's kind of miscombobulated, but you'll, you'll see it when I finish reading this. It says... And this, so this is a Greek to English. So the Greek, as it's originally written, I'm just going to read for each Greek word what the English translation of that word is. And we'll, we'll go through the whole, the whole verse. Truly, I say to you, how many, if you shall bind on the earth, shall have been bound in heaven. I'm going to say that the same thing applies for the, for the uh, loose as well. So I won't finish reading the second part of it. But it's the exact same thing. Let's read this again. Truly I say to you, how many, if you shall bind on the earth, shall have been bound in heaven. So what this is saying in the direct Greek translation, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you to a human translation of this, right? You better be careful about the authority that you carry. Whatever you're about to do, whatever you're about to command, whatever you're about to bind, whatever you're about to loose within your realm of of stewardship and leadership, if you're going to loose a consequence, if you're going to bind the ability of somebody to make this decision or, or, you know, whatever, translate it to whatever situation you have. Whatever you're about to do, you better be sure that is what has been done in the spirit realm, in heaven, through the court of heaven. If I am going to, I don't know, uh, tell John he's no longer allowed to be at this church because he wears glasses. Sorry for everybody else who wears glasses. If I'm going to tell you, you know, or let me use Pastor Greg and Pastor Alexis. The founding pastors of the ministry, they have now decided. Glasses prohibited. Anyone who wore them today. Oh, Jeff, you're part of it too. Sorry. Oh, Lacey, you're too. Yeah. Wow. We just, our church membership just went down. They're no longer allowed to be here because they wear glasses. Oh, Ruth, I'm so sorry for, your, for, for the loss there. <clears throat> His own mother. How dare he? He sends them out. They're no longer allowed to be there. Does he have the physical authority to do so? Thousand percent. He's the founding pastor of this church. He can physically do almost anything he decides to do. Man, he better be careful. And I know he knows the way to that. Man, you better be careful. When you use the authority that God gives you in the position that God has established you in, it is heavy. You better be very careful that the actions you're doing and the words that you are speaking, the very words you are speaking, 
are the words and the actions that are taking place in the spirit realm, in the kingdom, through, from his throne, from his very mouth. Jesus said, I only do and, and say what the Father is doing and saying. He understood this. To today's culture, he understood the assignment. Right? We have to take care that we are not just lording over people for our own fulfillment, for our own desire, because we think this is the way it should be, because we want to do this, because it's more comfortable for me if I tell you to do something this way. It has to be something that God has shown you that that is how you're to use that authority. Right? To the opposite, if you start tolerating things in your thing, if, if you're the pastor of this church... There are churches out there, guys. There are churches out there. My brother just left one that are tolerating stuff they shouldn't be tolerating within their church. They're tolerating stuff they shouldn't be tolerating. They're tolerating wrong thinking, wrong mentality. Um, And they are going to be held to a very strong account. They're going to have to answer to that, to the Lord on that one. Did they physically possess the authority on the earth to do what they did? Absolutely, because they did it. But we give an account to everything that we do and say, everything we do and say. As a leader, if you're up here just, I just don't understand people that wear glasses. It's just ridiculous. Why don't you just get your eyes fixed? Okay. You know, as a kid who doesn't have any authority or influence, really, and they just say what they say. I mean, McKinley, you know, you know, McKinley will say some things she's not supposed to say, you know, like, like, I, I don't know, like, you know. Daddy, you know, whatever, your eyes look funny. Your eyebrows look weird. You know, the kids just say stuff, but they don't really garnish an influence over me in that way. But as a leader, you garnish influence over people. Maybe I have influence over some of the people who wear glasses right now, and they, they care about what I think and say. When I say something like that, I mean, what, what do you think that's going to do to people? It's going to crush them. It's going to hurt them nonetheless, bruise them, make them offended, make them upset. Not come back again? Well, good, because you're not allowed here anyways. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's a poor example, but you get my point. You have to weigh everything that you do and say, or, or don't do and say. When you tolerate things you shouldn't tolerate, it's just as bad. Matthew 18, the beginning of that, uh, I'm not going to go through it really in detail, but it, it gives the picture for for that, that pruning process, that rebuking process of not tolerating something, right? And <clears throat> it gives a really nice thing. You know, you could say there's like even three degrees. You know, I, I wrote them down as three degrees, the first one being a rebuke. Somebody, you know, a person goes to you and tells you, you know, this, this is wrong. You really shouldn't do that. You know, and they're like, okay, you know, and the Bible says if, if they accept it and they turn from their way, all is well and you've done, you know, you've done it. But if they, if they continue to do it, ignoring what you've warned them, go and grab other people and come to, so there's an established truth of the fact that it's not just me. I mean, we're seeing this. This is a problem. If they continue, bring them before the entire church and, and deal with it in that way. So there are levels of a rebuke, of a pruning, of a uh, dealing or, or moving through the motions of not tolerating something, right? So Matthew 18 is a great, uh, you know, example. It, it, it gives a baseline foundation for how to deal with those things. And it applies, guys, it applies not to just church. 
It applies to almost every area of your life, raising kids, um, you know, dealing in management and businesses. Forget your SOPs, the standard operating procedures and how you should and, and all the seminars they take you to. Just read the Bible, guys. Just read the Bible. It'll give you the secrets to everything. <clears throat> um, Luke 13. I want to read this and then I'll end with one last thing. Let's go to Luke 13. Uh, we'll start in verse 6. This is the parable of the fig tree. <clears throat> it says, Then he began telling them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree that had, uh, that had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the vineyard keeper, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground, depleting the soil and blocking the sunlight? But he replied to him, the, the vineyard keeper replied to him and said, Let it alone, sir. Just one more year until I dig around it and put it in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit after this, then fine. But if not, cut it down. Going back to what we talked about last week, <clears throat> in culmination with this week, we are called to be fruitful for his kingdom. We're called to produce for his gain in his kingdom. We're called in, in leadership to provoke that in the people that we lead through serving them and empowering them in the way and, and enriching them with, with what they need to do it putting manure all around the roots and in the soil to give them additional, you know, uh, supply of what they need. We are called to bring a, a fruitfulness for his kingdom. And that's through the stewardship of the very things that we have. It's through the leadership positions that we're given, everything that we do. And, and really, that's why I said last week, stewardship is the foundation for this, because you even steward your leadership and how you lead and the choices that you make the things that you say and the directives that you give. <clears throat> really, really think about all the decisions you make. I said this last week in, in the aspect of stewardship, but even in leadership about tolerating. <sighs> yeah. The idea and the understanding of stewardship in leadership. When people are called, they're anointed, right? So as a shepherd with sheep, what is anointing? I, I read this thing on Facebook somewhere. It was really interesting to me, and I, I did research it a bit more and tried to understand the concept of anointing in a physical place, right, with a shepherd and sheep. And it was really cool, the, the principles of it. When... <clears throat> When a shepherd is shepherding or leading his sheep to a, from one pasture to another pasture, you know, in, a, in distances away, um, a lot of times they will use anointing oil to, to pour the oil over the sheep's head. 
And I mean, like when we talk about anointing, you know, we talk about getting our little roller out and, you know, just a little dash of oil right here in Jesus name, you know, not diminishing it. But when they talk about oil, they're talking about like the vat and just dumping it all over this head like you're taking a bath in it. And the shepherd would take that, uh, I guess it's been pictured in the horn, you know, or something to, I don't know what it's called, I'm, I'm, a vessel filled with oil, and they would pour it out over the sheep's head. And it would run down and fill and completely cover the, the sheep's head. And the things that this would do is sheep are very prone to, like, um, parasites and things, maggots and, and flies that get into the nose, into the mites that get into the ears. And it said that it, it drives the sheep so crazy in, in being distracted in their very thought processes because these things gnaw at them and they continue, that that, is, that ends up being why most of the time sheep end up veering off in the wrong path. They're not even focused on what physically is going on. They're so encumbered by what's attacking them in their mind. Not mentally, but in their actual mind, their actual brain, their actual ears, their actual nose. These things are getting at them, and the oil goes in and, and drives the things out and keeps the, the insects and the parasites from, from going in and starting that process. So the anointing gives a special grace to these sheep to make it without all the additional need for help and the struggles they go through to accomplish their goal of moving from one pasture to another. So when we are anointed, when we're called to something, it doesn't just mean that we're just given this mantle anointing, right? Like if, if when I was called to Nigeria to, to lead the, the mission there, it's not that like I had everything I needed the moment that he said, I, I now thus saith the Lord call you to Nigeria. It didn't happen like that where he just said that and all of a sudden I am who I am today or could even take leadership. I mean, it took a year from the point he called me to where it was ready and time for me to go. Other things, it'll take a lot longer. Other things, it'll take shorter. Depends on what the situation is. But there's an anointing, and then there's a mantle anointing. So an anointing is when you're called into something and you, you have a calling on your life, that is, that is where you receive an anointing. If you've accepted that call and start to walk that journey with the Lord, you receive an anointing to, to go there, to do that, Right? It is the building up. I wrote it more eloquently because I can talk better when I'm writing. The anointing is the divine impartation of God's supernatural abilities and traits upon an available and yielded vessel in order to undertake, here's a key, delegated divine tasks efficiently and effectively. The key is delegated. Why would that word be in there? If I'm called to do this, I'm called to take delegated tasks? Well, two reasons. One, they're delegated by God because God's the one instructing you to do this very thing. But in that process of where it's just an anointing, you're delegated by the one who has that mantle, who's, who's helping to raise you up in this realm. You're, you're, you're delegated tasks by those who possess a leadership above you, who are a Wendy who's pouring into me and preparing me in a, in a prayer you know, life in, through the Tuesday night services consistently, every Tuesday, calling me on me to pray. No, I'm just kidding. But, but truly, when she called on me to pray that often, I developed a prayer life. I developed 
a, a connection and an understanding of what prayer does. I saw the fruition of prayer. When Greg and Alexis pour into me in terms of leadership and, and all of that, I can't tell you without the influences they've had from their mantle anointing, I can't tell you whether I would have actually made it to where I am today. I mean, I'm sure God may have used other people if they were unwilling, but it was critical to my growth and success in what God called me to do. And so a, the solidification and buildup of the anointing ushers us into another higher dimension called the mantle, which the mantle is a, is a distinct, distinct um, evidence, physical, in this natural realm, there is evidence of God's hand upon you to accomplish the goal and the mission that God has set before you. Right? When you have taken, it is clear to me in the mantled positions that we have, which are many in, in this ministry, there is clear physical evidence, actually, that they are the ones who are called to do this very specific thing, and God's hand is upon them to accomplish it. When you are still raising up through the anointing, it may not be as evident. It becomes more evident as you submit, surrender, obey what God's asked you to do through faith. And he builds you into that point. Kingdom leadership, kingdom stewardship, as I said, is one of the most important or, or rather most talked about topics in the word of God. And when we look at these things, like, like why, why are we here? Why are you here? Why am I here? Why am I what I'm doing what I'm doing? I can answer that question, and I'm going to. I'm going to answer the question for me. You've got to answer it for yourself. And you really need to, if you've not ever asked yourself that question, you really, really need to ask yourself that question. Why are you here? Why are you sitting? Maybe you're here because you're, you're visiting and somebody's asked you to come. I, I think I'm more speaking to people who have decided for themselves that God's called me to be here. Why? Have you asked yourself that question? Why did God call me to be in Nigeria? Why has God called you to the things you're doing? I, I can kind of answer that question for you in a broad sense. It's because that's what's going to help establish his kingdom here. And the whole point and purpose of what we're doing is to help establish his kingdom and his throne here on this earth. If I'm out in Nigeria because it's just cool and it's a different culture and you know I'm good at what I do or something or whatever, and it's just for those reasons, I just need to come on home and reestablish my life here because there's no point in doing all of that. I'm doing this because I know what God has ultimately planned, at least in a broad sense. Not saying that I've been revealed the Re- book of Revelation like John was. I know what the end goal of, of the Lord is to establish his kingdom here. And I know that he's asked for my assistance. Not that he needs help, but he's asked to use me as a vessel. And I will surrender as a complete vessel, the best of my ability, and he needs to help me where I need to continue to empty myself. But I will surrender everything that I have to ensure that he has a cleaned and an empty and fully ready to use vessel for whatever he wants to do. If it's Nigeria, if it's coming back here, if it's going to Germany, if it's going to Australia, if it's if it's, you know, whatever it is, if it's cleaning the toilet every Sunday, if it's cleaning the floors here every Sunday, I am content with him using me in whatever way he needs to use me. And I do it with passion because 
This is going to help establish his kingdom. And as a leader who is supposed to be impacting and influencing others, I need to be looking for every opportunity to impact those around me at Walmart, at the airline, um, you know, at every other place to establish his his um, his kingdom through transforming them and impacting them for his kingdom. Because as we make disciples of the nations, as we make a disciple out of this person and that person and pour into them to pour out to the next people and they take on the same thing and it continues and continues, we, that's a picture of readying the bride. And, and you know, I, I don't remember what I shared last week in, as far as examples, but like if you're getting ready to get married, like are you just going to come because like your spouse, your bride, you know, just is is looking worse, you know, continues to look worse, and it just gets so bad that, that it's finally like, all right, all right, I'll come down and marry you so you don't have to stress out about this anymore. You know, no. Uh, you know, a lot of people have said this as an example, and it's, it's the perfect picture for what, for what Christ is looking at in, in the bride. No, he's going to come down because it's time, and it's time because it's evident in the readiness of that bride. Have you ever been to a wedding where it did not start on time? Let me ask you, why didn't it start on time? Most likely than not, the bride wasn't ready yet. Right? So, if I stepped on toes, move your feet. No, but seriously, those things help ready the bride. I'm doing my part in, in helping to, to bring a gain for his kingdom. So I, I just really, really sense the Lord wanted me to share these things from these two topics and just, Father, I do pray in Jesus' name that you would help every single one of us to just digest this in the way that it needs to be digested for each and every one of us, God. Show us in our lives and in our spheres of influence how we can take up leadership in every aspect, left, right, up, down, diagonal. God, that we can start to see that we don't have to be placed into a position to lead. Father, <clears throat> we can garnish influence over people regardless of where we sit. Father, I just, I pray that you help us to understand this and how it relates to what you're going to do and about to do in this, in this uh, very season of time. Lord, you have revealed that we're moving into a new season full of manifestation, explosive, I think you said, manifestation. God, I'm ready for that. I'm desirous of it. And God, just help us to be ready, unlike the 12 spies of uh, the Israelites help us to have and, and to have built the character that we need to go and possess the land. God, I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So important. Thank you so much for that. And I, I know what the Lord just had on my heart with all those pillars is the focus that he wants to. He really, really wants us to stay in tune with him so we can be focused. Because one of the challenges that they have in Nigeria is to know what part of God's assignment is for now and what isn't. Because when there is a need all around you in so many ways, um, you really have to be directed by the Lord. I mean, there was a need. We just recently, the Lord gave us the green light to take on an orphanage. But yet when we first started going there years ago, we were going to orphanages. And we were so impacted by the need of the children and the babies. And, oh, that's just so close to my heart. But the Lord's timing was not that. So when you're running around here and there and saying, oh, they need my help. And, well, I'd be good at that group. And I should help them. Be careful. 
be careful that leadership in a distracted place can get you so exhausted because you'll find that unless you're really in tune with where God has you, um, you'll find yourself burning out. And I know that um, because I so firmly, and he does and we really do, believe so firmly in the equipping the called, I really don't believe in the, the ministerial uh, church definition of burnout because I believe God is so faithful. He will always equip you. And burnout often comes when we think we're doing the Lord's work, but we're really not exactly where he wants us. And we've sometimes come out from under the shadow of the Almighty and are now in our flesh doing God's work, begging him to bless what we want to do, and it's really not his plan. So that focus is so important. But I hope you'll take, uh, listen again to the pillars and um, just take to heart Uh, all those principles in the word of God that he lays out so clearly. So thank you so much for that. It's been such a joy to have them with us, and we pray traveling mercies for them. Um, Also, uh, this week, uh, Greg has an assignment uh, that he's going to be flying just for a couple of days to Jacksonville, Florida, to meet with an organization there that we've been in contact with, um, but that are really... uh, their heart is being drawn to the work in Nigeria, and so um, so he's going there to meet with them, and it turned from phone conversations into a need for face-to-face. So please just pray. Um, you know, we do mostly international travel, but I'll tell you what, the nightmare stories are within the travel within the United States. <laughs> That's when it gets all kinds of crazy. So um, pray for, and it's really, it would be too long of a story, so I know that's why he didn't share it, but it was pretty hilariously sad uh, to see what he had to go through with people that, um, I'm not sure where they were trained. I don't know. I don't think the training even existed in terms of customer service. Um, But uh, anyways, pray that that goes smoothly Because any new door opening that is divinely orchestrated by God, the enemy fights like crazy to hinder, to... So pray for this trip and um, and that it goes smoothly and well. And then also, you might not be aware of it, but one of the things that's been physically taxing, but also God's equipping, is that behind the curtain here, there is a wall being built. And it's for the purposes of the fact that we lose a tremendous amount of heat in the cold weather and cool air in the warm weather. So we really have to build, because there's uh, three bay doors with no insulation. So there is an entire wall being built that Greg has alone, apart from Derek's uh, constant volunteering, which I know he's he's uh, always, always stepping up to be a help. And we only have had him while he's here. And even with his fighting this physical battle that he's been in, he's been helping Greg. It's been such a blessing. But pray for the strength for Greg to finish this wall. And of course, we have Lydia's closet this week. So we're still moving forward with that. But he's going to be here all day, um, Monday and Tuesday, and even Wednesday to get ready. And then I believe he leaves on Thursday. So uh, so just pray for him. He will be back, of course, before next week uh, service. But um, there's a lot of things going on that he needs strength. And um, those that have helped with Lydia's, thank you so much. We are going to have the setup at the same time, 11 o'clock on Wednesday. And um, next weekend, too, is, uh, is Father's Day. And 
Um, so, you know, just encourage people around you that you know if they have not, um, if they just need to find an answer to the turmoil in this world and want to hear about the love of Jesus, you know, it might be that somebody would be willing to come on a day like that. But one of the things that I did want to say and that I'm so thankful for, um, but the culture that we want to develop here um, of the Lord in Ignition is that in kingdom leadership, a person coming in that's looking for an answer to this turmoil and looking for counsel and needing encouragement, they should be able to go to any spirit-filled believer. They not just have to meet with the pastors, but to be able to know that they will get wise counsel if they sit with Tom and Liz or Rich and Linda or, you know, people that... Um, they may not see at a pulpit all the time, but that they know are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we will, because we're, we're all uh, members of the same body serving the same God, the same Holy Spirit lives within us, we're going to find that we can all share the leadership for the body because this place will be, there will be a rush of people at some point. The Spirit is going to fall, and there's also turmoil that will drive people to um, to the buildings and uh, buildings everywhere. So be ready for that. Uh, we are so on the precipice of, of a shift in our atmosphere. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing prophetic things. This smoke, I don't know if you know, I just have to say as a side note, because God is fulfilling his word. Um, March of last year, almost word for word, what happened in the skies over New York and then down through some of the states was described in detail in a prophetic word through Julie Green. It was astounding. And at that time, who could have imagined? What does that mean? Smoke. People are going to see smoke and it's going to move. And yet now that we've seen it and knew how it came, you look back at that word and you're like, whoa, God told us exactly what was going to happen. He fulfilled his word. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll mention her name only because when we went before the Lord, he did mention that she does hear from him. It doesn't mean her explanation of everything is always correct, but she does hear from him. Oh, yes, yes. And what was interesting is in that prophetic word, the next sentences after describing the smoke directly was a, is that this is a sign of the destruction of D.C., and if you remember, if you remember the declaration that God sent us, the, the core team, to, to declare, Greg read the word, read the declaration word that was very heavy at the time. I had never heard a word so heavy from the Lord before over D.C. And again, those who were not in agreement with the plans of the enemy would be protected by a mark from angels. But those who were, who were not uh, will be destroyed. Whoa, it was heavy. So that's so interesting how, again, the Lord is releasing his word. And the more he releases the same warning, the same warning, the same warning, you can feel the ramping up of the please pay attention, please spend time with me, please get in my presence, get in my word, over and over again, back-to-back warnings. Why? Because it's here. The time is here that we're going to see it. So we know that this urgency, it's like, it's not some far and distant, hey, this next year, please spend more time with me. Consider spending. No, it's now. Now. If you want to stand upon the rock that is me, Jesus is saying, get in my presence now. There's nothing more important than developing that oneness, that closeness, that intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Because even we, with all the prophetic words, all the warnings, even we don't know 
what will shake us. God is the only one that can fortify us. Our complete dependency and trust in him, he will fortify areas we wouldn't even know to fortify. Because some people just think, I'm fine. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. What are we going to take heed in? Take heed in the presence of the Lord to protect us. So it's exciting because these things that are shaking people, I'm praying all the time. The Lord has just told me, shake up, wake up your people, wake up the bride, wake up the sleeping bride, because many of them love you, Lord, but they are asleep. And whatever it takes to wake them up. My mother sometimes would come in if we didn't get up for school by the third warning. She'd take a glass of water and splash it right in our face. That did not get my day off to a good start. But it was like, wake up. It's time to get up. And so I'm just praying for that to be released. So thank you again for the word. So remember, Lydia's this week, be praying about that. This is an opportunity to really reach people that are in need and the needs that come in are god has been leading carson all over spreading the word spreading flyers i mean he's on this assignment that many people don't even know about he's been going in neighborhoods in all kinds of different places um you know trusting the lord for his safety quite frankly and talking to people and spreading what lydia's is and i think god is unfolding even more vision so again pray into this be part of the influencing um others and and be praying into what god has to uh, to advance the kingdom of god father thank you again for this day bless this word let it let the seeds that you've released go deep into the soil of our hearts that they might produce a harvest of your will We love you, God. We thank you for what you're doing, how you're already starting the shaking. God, let it be a great awakening to your bride and to bringing about this great end time harvest of souls in the revival. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We wait for the falling of your Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.